Welcome to a dialogue on accountability in the digital age. A dialogue with a global multi-stakeholder community representing national and local governments, international policymakers, civil society, NGOs, the ICT industry, as well as other relevant organizations and institutes. Hello, I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today we're going to have a discussion with Cyril Pereira. Hey, Cyril, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, uh, Fritz. I'm happy to be here. Allow me to introduce Cyril Pereira. He's a media professional originally from Malaysia, but is now based out of Hong Kong for over 35 years. And he coaches data journalism for insights on how society and policy can uh, review. He's the publisher of Asia Magazine, was the senior executive with the South China Morning Post, and was on the board of the Bangkok Post. And he's also the unprecedented fourth term chairman of the Society of Publishers in Asia. So again, Cyril, uh, welcome uh, to the program. Um, we're going to talk today about uh, journalism and accountability. Uh, first of all, I'd like to ask you a question. Do newspapers have a future? Not the hobby, but if they transition successfully to online multimedia and a subscription-based model, um, there are cases of success. Great. Well, that's and far between. They are few and far between. It's not yet the standard. Everybody's struggling. A few succeed. It's indeed what I alluded to with my question is uh, what I always think of newspapers as traditional paper-based newspapers. And obviously there is a future, but how does it look like? Tough. Tough. Simply because if you are a well-established traditional newspaper, you have a large headcount, and because of the boom years of the papers uh, up to the 90s, um, highly paid, highly salaried uh, staff. And when you only lose your classifieds and display uh, print advertising revenues, and you find that whatever advertising revenues you get online is a minuscule, minuscule proportion. Uh, and online is 70 to 80% dominated by Google and Facebook anyway. So you're fighting as a paper or as a medium for the remaining 20% with everybody else at a very low rate because Google and Facebook set the rate and the baseline rate is so low. So it's a... It's a very tough proposition uh, where uh, the CEOs of traditional newspapers are finding that they are not ready for this kind of uh, warfare where the rules are out of their control. You see, in uh, traditional newspapers, hard copy, you always had a geographic monopoly. Mm -hmm. City paper dominated the city. Uh, community paper dominated the community, had a geographic monopoly. 
online, there is no geography. And so they've lost two things. They've lost an area monopoly and they've lost the control of rates. And that's a terrible combination in any business. That's, uh, no, no, I, I, I see that happening as well. Now I understand one of the things you are doing uh, to help these traditional media organizations is to push them towards data journalism as a way to help them. Is that right? And can you expand yeah. on what data journalism is? Okay. Um, in the application of data journalism, as far as I am concerned, um, we leave spot news, mm -hmm. spot news as whatever happens during the day and during the week and during the month. We leave that alone because all media cover that, all news media cover that. You don't add any value and you are usually one of hundred saying the same thing, okay? The consumer is already aware. He doesn't need you to become aware of the news. So what I do is I say, strategically, let that continue, but that's not your real business. That's not your real value. Your value has to be to come back to community problem solving. And that is in your town, in your community, there are hundreds of issues that affect the people who live there. That is not news because people have become used to it. They are used to the fact that there are not enough clinics and hospitals. They're used to the fact that there are no good schools for the children in this community. You know, they sort of grow into accepting the given situation and not changing it. So you can become an agent of change by taking the facts, analyzing them, reporting them, talking to the people in charge in that community on that topic and asking them, what are they going to do about it? Should they be doing something about it? And that process, you become a change agent and therefore you have value in the community, which you have lost on news. So that's basically the approach. Okay, I got that. So uh, just by providing data, providing facts, and being able to translate data into information, say, well, that's, all, that's yeah. how also journalists uh, can help um, point people to issues, uh, hold people accountable, because you share with uh, your, your audience what's hap really happening. Yeah, uh, but and, uh, the difference is, it is not that the information is unknown or unavailable, mm -hmm. but it hasn't been turned into a community story. It hasn't been turned into a community need. It hasn't been turned into an urgent call to action. And that's where the journalism comes in. Okay, now, uh, so, so how does this relate to those big organizations out there, those platforms which provide uh, social media, the Facebooks, the Googles of this world, who are also uh, massive, yeah. a massive amount of data? Uh, why are they not doing this? Well, that's a key question. 
why is Facebook and Google and anybody else not bothering with this? Because that is not their business. Their business is to get the data of their users, aggregate them, and sell them to advertisers. They are selling private data to advertisers and making zillions out of it. We have voluntarily surrendered our data mm -hmm. without compensated for it because they say we're giving you a free platform. We're allowing you to communicate, so you should be grateful. They have no moral commitment to helping anybody. They, they, they say, look, our business is to make money for our shareholders and investors. And we're doing that very well, thank you. And we just give you a blank platform on which you can be a producer, you can be a publisher, you can be a communicator, you can be a friend or an enemy or a... Mm -hmm agent for harm it's up to you we are just a neutral platform is what they say that is quite scary that the dominant platforms on this planet uh that your perception is they're not doing what they could do yeah uh, to hold people accountable no they hold no moral responsibility for the content that they host. Uh, and recently, we are very aware that they actually collaborate with big corporations and governments to censor information. So they are not neutral. Because they are so powerful, they are used by governments and big corporations for their own agendas. Mm -hmm. And that is where I think citizens have to become active to blow the whistle on these guys. You just gave us a lot to think about, Cyril. So thank you for those thoughts. Uh, and this also then, uh, to follow up on that, uh, we've seen uh, a couple of well, we've seen a lot last couple of years quite a lot of attacks on the more traditional media as providers of fake news, and uh, you see an erosion into uh, extent people trust uh, media in the what they're saying. Um, you see, mainstream media long ago surrendered their moral conscience to advertising that they were making such good profits out of it. Mm -hmm. The last thing they wanted to do was to upset their advertisers or uh, make their advertisers nervous. So uh, we've been so many cases where a big advertiser news is involved and the editor immediately is told by the CEO or the publisher, look, hey, this is one of our big advertisers. It's worth so many millions a year. Mm -hmm. Can we, we soften the story or can we bury the story somewhere inside the pages so nobody sees it? Uh, let's not make headline news out of it. 
even if it's a major scandal. So, you know, this has been happening for a long time. Uh, but now what has happened is because mainstream media is no longer the only voice available, all the other uh, fringe voices are able to get a platform. They're able to get their side of the story onto Facebook or WhatsApp. And that has severely damaged mainstream media credibility because where they don't report, the others report. Where they hide, the others reveal. And this uh, check on mainstream media monopoly of news has lost them a lot of credibility. Uh, and the consumer today has very little respect for mainstream media anymore. You've just painted quite a bleak picture. Uh, no credibility. Um, the is this a losing battle, or do you also have ideas how we can still uh, support media to uh, have them play the role they should be playing in the in, in the de de democratic societies? Part of the solution we see now in Germany, in the US, uh, not so much in the UK, maybe in Scandinavia, I'm not sure, uh, is uh, a, an awareness among citizens that they need to pay for and contribute to a truly independent uh, media source. Uh, they have to finance good quality journalism. Uh, Their democracy requires up-to-date, credible information. Uh, and therefore, they should support it like they support other public services. It should be seen as a public good. The question of who will manage it, the question of how uh, if they are monitored, uh, are not impossible. Many places have done it. Uh, citizen awareness and citizen ability to complain and a mechanism to handle citizen concerns uh, that is uh, neutral, is, is uh, possible. Um, you won't see that in developing countries. You can only see that in advanced societies where uh, politicians and government are held to account anyway. Okay. Uh, therefore, you will unlikely see this in developing Asia, Africa, or South America, where uh, the government's priorities are not in supporting a media to police the government. That's the last thing they want. Uh, so uh, we have cases where uh, foundations in, in Scandinavia and in America and maybe a limited extent in Germany actually help to train and fund 
third world independent media to, to get, uh, get on their feet. We have a case in Malaysia, which is very successful, called Malaysia Kini. Okay. In, in my research, now shows it's the second highest trusted source in the country. And they were supported by, I think, a media development fund out of uh, Europe somewhere with some Soros involvement. But uh, that's been very successful. And uh, initiatives like that uh, have a future if you find the core people who truly are committed to quality journalism and independent information. You need those individuals. You need the champions. You can't just go and fund a bunch of guys uh, just because they are available. You have to get people with a missionary zeal start okay so you have we have to identify so, so what uh, how do, do you have an idea how we're going to find those people uh, are we going to train them educate them um, um, if that's well, what, if that's what uh, needed? there are yeah there are people that, like in the case of Malaysia Kini where the editor-in-chief was already a successful uh, mainstream media editor mm -hmm. who felt that mainstream media was going off track, getting too, uh, too much uh, a tool of the power structure and that an independent voice was needed and was willing to risk uh, uh, the censure of the power structure through it. You know, getting the office raided, getting the computers being taken to the ministry for checking and all. So uh, a willingness to sacrifice personal security to an extent uh, helped to build the credibility with the citizens. But it's a risk they have to take in the third world environment. Uh... Again, I would assume that that's a rare breed of people uh, to, who are willing to- Extremely rare. That. Extremely rare, extremely rare. I mean, these are one in a million kind of uh, people who believe their mission so much and believe the value for society so much. They're willing to sacrifice their personal security. Now, what you just described is what organizations can do uh, who want to promote uh, free journalism to, to identify yeah. those people. But you also said that uh, we, the, the, the society themselves need to realize yes. we need that. But how can we train and educate society that this is something they should desire, that something they would want to have uh, in their own community? Well, uh... From what I have seen and watched, it should start in school programs. It should start with the young people becoming aware in, in middle school, secondary school, uh, becoming aware of the larger society and the, the influences, the power structure, the economics, the uh, uh, 
threats and so on, uh, and becoming sensitized to what is the role of media? What should media be doing for citizens? And how should citizens demand such credible media and protest media that are misinforming them? It should start in school. Okay, but it, so then if we should start in school, that also means that uh, the governments have a very important role to play to make certain those schools do educate uh, children on this. Uh, very few governments put into their curriculum of studies uh, the thinking, the questioning process about government itself. So most of this will be done as general studies and extracurricular studies by the teachers uh, involved, either on weekends or in uh, general studies time, uh, sensitizing them to this, and also by getting uh, uh, editors from independent media to come and explain why they do what they do with case studies and examples. So uh, in the beginning of the interview, you previously you said uh, that media, independent media is actually a public service. So that implies yeah. for me uh, that there is a role for the government to play to make certain that we keep a, uh, an independent media in play. Yeah. There is a role for government if government wants to do it. Uh, in advanced societies, governments are told by citizens to do it. Uh, in developing societies, that is not on the list of priorities. Uh, the priorities are very basic, you know, uh, good roads, pipe water, electricity supply, uh, transportation, uh, and, and so very, very basic. So this is kind of like a uh, low priority. Governments are unlikely to bother with this. And certainly they don't want to educate children to question government. Uh, you know, it's, it's an evolution and they are far behind in that evolution. So uh, one can't expect them to do it. They will not prioritize it. It won't happen. But what can happen are individual initiatives, uh, like in the case of Malaysia Kini, where a couple of people went out, started something, and uh, initial funding came in from uh, Europe and training uh, and some basic technology and they got started and they had to fight their own battles. They had to fight battles with the government that didn't like what it was they were reporting. Personal sacrifices had to be made. Uh, offices were raided. The computers were seized. I mean, uh, <clears throat> all of these uh, power structure responses to, to, to inconvenient questions will happen over and over again in, in developing societies. 
to upfill that. But uh, for the people willing to suffer that, yeah, credibility gets very high very quickly. Mm -hmm. And then they have a very good future as a, a multimedia platform. Okay, now you, you've described um, the struggle of a very important industry uh, for uh, keeping uh, countries, society uh, democratic. Um, but we also see a shift in how people consume news at the moment. Uh, when we started yeah. to see social media coming up, uh, that was hardly taken serious by social by, by the, the main media organizations. Uh, is that still the case? Um, I don't think you will find any uh, traditional media today that uh, dismisses the impact of social media. Mm -hmm. And my research just concluded last month in Indonesia and Malaysia. It's very clear that the younger generations, generation Y and Z, are almost 75 to 85% depending on social media platforms for their news. They are not going anymore directly to the news source. Mm -hmm. They're actually dependent on their groups and friends sharing with them the news that's important for the day. So uh, social platforms that become the default source of news, they are not seeking news themselves anymore. Okay, so uh, as, a, as a traditional media company, uh, what action do you then take? What action? Uh, I mean, uh, does it make sense just to follow your clients and rather than fighting um, being online, uh, embrace it? Um, social media has a different business. The social media business is advertising revenue, not information for citizens. That is a... Okay. No, I accept it, uh, but just my point yeah. is, uh, we're seeing the, um, I mean, the digital native generation, uh, they're not interested in hard copies. So to what extent can you then state, okay, well, we need to go where the people already are and next to yeah. social media, introduce something which delivers what nor a normal hard copy newspaper would offer. Yeah. Uh, you have specialized uh, specialized newspapers, like business newspapers, mm -hmm. like the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, uh, who are thoroughly multimedia, but to the same audience, the same consumers, but now providing uh, actually much better service because it's timelier, it's 24-7, it's archive searchable, it's uh, reachable on any any uh, device, whether it's a mobile phone or your laptop. Uh, it's available as uh, podcasts. It's uh, you know it, it's a whole uh, creative suite of offerings, uh, depending on the interest of the end user. 
but that's a very clearly defined audience. Uh, similarly, if people thought about it, the mainstream media people that used to enjoy geographic monopolies can recreate that geographic monopoly by deciding to service a particular community in a particular location, because people live in physical locations. They have neighborhoods, they have communities, uh, they have services and, and products available in physical spaces. And if you uh, recreate that, you will gain that loyalty again. It's how you get user loyalty. Okay, can you give me some examples where that's already happening? Yes, uh, you have, for example, uh, national news organizations online. Although global news is available uh, through Google and mm -hmm. yeah, everybody else, you have national news. Uh, in each country, there is a particular news site that is the national news site. It's become the de facto news site. Yeah. Some of it are from traditional media going online. Some of it are independent. Um, but I have not yet seen because of the lack, and this is, this is a, a matter of economics, because of the lack of uh, the advertising rate in online, which requires huge numbers to justify. The community size is not there to create the economics for online, unless they are going to subscription mode and say, okay, I'm servicing you as a community. It's costing me so much to service you. I need to charge you a subscription rate of X and it's economics. If you're willing to pay it, I can create it. And that, that is a balance between size of community and uh, subscription rates. Got it. So, so it's only working at a national level. It's not yet working at a community. Okay, and to come back where we started off with uh, how relevant or how important is data-driven journalism in this case to win back the audience? I think uh, that's uh, a very, very important uh, uh, tool because when you take data journalism on the facts and figures and problems of specific towns or specific cities and uh, create a community around it, not just of the people who live there, but of the people who are making the decisions for that community. It's the city administration or the county uh, council uh, and start interviewing those people online and start using uh, multimedia where the community can listen to their mayor or they can listen to their police chief or they can listen to the school principal or something happened there in the school that needs to be fixed. You will regain that value. And this is where not too many publishers and editors have really thought this through to regain the loyalty of the community and the value to the community. 
And this is an opportunity, I would say, that needs to be exploited. Okay, so in summary, what I'm hearing you say is, well, the media have always had a role to keep um, people accountable, to keep organizations accountable, yeah. to keep governments accountable. Yeah. Uh, because of digital technology, social media has gone through a very rough patch because all of a sudden yeah. that accountability was not uh, an objective. But yeah. what I'm hearing you say is at least now that the, the social, tradi more traditional social uh, uh, media are now embracing the same technology, they can actually use this yeah. technology uh, to bring it back. Yes. So th there is yes. hope. There is hope. Oh, there is plenty of hope because don't forget, traditional media have got a brand yes. of 100 years or 150 years. New media has no brand. And because they have no brand, they don't have credibility for a long time. It takes them years to establish that. And how do they survive while they reach that point? Whereas it's easier for a known and respected brand to re-engage with the community in multimedia. Okay, well, there is hope and you've shown us uh, ways how we're going to get there uh, using uh, data-driven uh, journalism. Yeah. Uh, Cyril, um, I want to thank you for your time for this talk, uh, giving you some insights on uh, what uh, are the threats, but also what could be opportunities. Uh, we still can have a serious uh, media channel, uh, keeping people accountable, uh, which will be moving online. So thank you very much for sharing your insights there. Welcome.